0: they say that in space no one can hear you scream but in southeast portland when you're playing horror games with your window open i'm pretty sure that everyone can hear you scream welcome to triple click where we bring the games to you this week we're talking about dead space remake a game that proves that sometimes 15 years and a fresh coat of paint is really all you need this engine centrifuge isn't going to fire itself so let's suit up and get into it i'm kirk hamilton
1: I'm Maddie Myers.
0: And I'm Jason Schreier. Hello.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Hello, my friends. Hello to both of you. Welcome back. Hello to all the listeners out there in the world.
1: (laughs) Every single one. They can all hear me. They can all hear us.
0: Hope it's it's wonderful.
1: We're broadcasting live. (laughs) And guess
2: what? If you listen, if you. If you listened to the end of last week's episode and you've been just like waiting eagerly to find out what the game we're going to talk
0: about today <gasps> right. is. Right. Yes. Now you get to find cliffhanger. out. Huge cliffhanger. It's true. It's right there in the episode title in your podcast player. Also we
2: should say that um we are recording this before the Nintendo Direct that hits on Wednesday night the that's day right. before the episode goes live. So if like Silk Song is announced and, mm-hmm. and that's this is what like, we're not freaking
1: know, out right Metro now because games of that. or whatever. Uh-huh, like uh-huh, that's uh-huh. why we're not freaking out about that. Yes, yeah. yes,
2: exactly.
0: I feel like if they announce Silk Song, I will scream loud enough to be heard in a <laughs> podcast that I recorded the day before. Ah, some some
2: interdimensional mm. time travel screaming. Yes, it
0: would be an interdimensional hype scream. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so
2: I can, cool. I've heard Great one of those. For that. <laughs> That's a real gamer moment. Mm. Interdimensional, <laughs> hi- hype
1: interdimensional hype scream. Hype scream. <laughs> that does sound like a long mm-hmm. title of like a cool infinite runner that came out in like 2013.
2: It does, it does. Or a dating sim. Or
0: like a mid-2000s rock album. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> interdimensional totally. hype scream. That's
1: good. Mm-hmm. So, Kirk.
0: Okay, I guess I have to tell us about some <laughs> things. We are a listener-supported show, and that means that all of you wonderful listeners out there support us making this show. You bear with us when we forget that it was our turn to mention the fact that we're a listener-supported show, and we really appreciate that. So if you go to MaximumFun.org slash join, you can become a member of Maximum Fun. That allows you to support the creation of Triple Click, but it also gets you bonus episodes of a bunch of different Maximum Fun shows including our show, which we do every month. We make a new bonus episode. There are so many of them to listen to. And if you just pay $5 a month, you can listen to all of them at the same time from multiple devices. You can just play them all at once. It'll be really confusing. <laughs> that would be really disoriented. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be yeah, like I
1: recommend listening layers to them and layers of sound. Individually. You can go in whatever order you want, though. That's true. I will say that. That is that.
2: true.
0: Yes. That is true.
2: But if you do, if you play them all at once while watching
0: Dark Side of the Moon, then oh, you can- write it a secret up. message. Shit's crazy. You got to <laughs> yeah. listen to some of them backwards, but yes. uh, we're not going to tell you which ones. You have to figure it out on your- It's own. a puzzle. It's mm-hmm. a big puzzle. So anyways, uh, MaximumFun.org slash join. Become a member. We really appreciate all of you out there who support the creation of our show. That's how we don't have ads. That's how we make the exact show that we want to make. And uh, that's thanks to all of you. So thanks so much for being members. And supporting the creation of this show. All right, we've kept the people in suspense long enough. Maddie, what are we talking about this week? They're
1: freaking out right now. And they should keep freaking out for the entire rest of the episode because we are talking about Dead Space. Oh, yeah. Elaborate music sting.
0: Mm-hmm. violins
1: are freaking screaming right now and <laughs> necromorph just jumped out of a vent right behind you there's always a vent behind you always always no matter really where you are, really good ventilation behind you. On the there's so many fans blowing well in on space you.
2: you need some good compressor coils you need a really good hvac system mm-hmm. uh, i bet it's... they use i bet they don't use oil i bet they use like a real heat pump mm-hmm. like some high elaborate like... Post pandemic
1: futuristic game. It is seven twenty sixth century. So like they really learned from the pandemic in this game, and they were like, "We gotta get all these vents," and then that was their downfall. There was was a
0: bit of a pandemic (laughs) on the ship, and they didn't contain it very well. Yeah, I guess it wasn't that (laughs) ventilated.
1: In Kirk style, I wrote a statement. I don't want to make any big promises here. I'm not going to do this every time. I feel like I have done (laughs) this for the past couple, but but I just did it for fun this time. Okay, best practice. So. It's the 26th century. Space travel has been perfected, and humans are exploring the galaxy to mine other planets for resources. You're Isaac Clark, an engineer on a repair mission for the USG Ishimura, a mining ship with a thousand souls on board, including Clark's girlfriend, Nicole, one of the ship's doctors. When Clark and his colleagues fly up to the USG Ishimura, it looks abandoned. With no one to aid their landing, they crash into the docking bay and start exploring the ship. It doesn't take long for them to learn that the entire human crew of the Ishimura has been infected by a virus that transforms them into necromorphs with massive claw hands and sometimes other bizarre appendages, depending on which type of necromorph, because this is a video game and there are multiple (laughs) types of necromorphs. Anyway, headshots don't work, so cut off their limbs. Isaac and his crewmates split up to explore and figure out a way to escape this ship and its many horrors. Throughout it all, Isaac is determined to find... girlfriend nicole whom he believes must have survived somehow so i will start by saying i played this game when it first came out in 2008 and it was scary then although i will say i have much stronger memories of dead space 2 specifically the eye poke scene not least because i wrote an article about that scene for polygon Mm. and that scene is so memorable but we don't need to get into that here (laughs) eventually we'll do a dead space remake episode many years from now and we can talk about it then so the original dead space came out in 2008 it was developed by an ea studio called ea redwood shores which then retroactively got called visceral games after dead space was wildly successful it's a third person Mm -hmm. shooter by the way uh You're pretty much just in one space. They add in some more Metroidvania elements for this remake, which came out in January 2023 by Motive Studio, different team, also published by EA, but different set of folks making this one. Uh, And I've played uh, several hours of the remake. I'm on chapter four. I will finish it. But I find it extremely scary, so I have to take a lot of breaks. And I want to hear from you two how far you are. And uh, Kirk, why don't we start with you? I know you played the original as well.
0: Yeah, I played the original Dead Space. Um, I didn't finish it, but I played more than I've played now. I'm, I'm in Act 4 as well of the remake, which is very familiar because I remember the original one like it was yesterday. I'd say that one of the best things I can say about this remake is that playing it, I, am, I have erased my memory of what Dead Space looked and played like in 2008. And now when I think about it, I'm just like, yeah, it looked like this. I mean, I'm basically just playing <laughs> Dead Space. Because uh-huh. yeah. it's pretty true to the original, at least in terms of overall content, even though I know there are some changes. It's, it feels like Dead Space, um, mm-hmm. even though, of course, it looks like a modern a video game and not like better. an Xbox 360 game. So like, I played, um, yeah, probably two-thirds of the original and didn't finish it. Uh, for reasons that I'll talk about in a second, or a little later, I guess. Then later, I reviewed Dead Space Two for Paste Magazine. It was when I was first getting into writing about games, mm-hmm. and because I was reviewing it, I had to finish it. Um, yeah, and loved that was it. also
1: why I re- I completed Dead mm. Space Two because I was mm-hmm. reviewing it for the Phoenix. Go on.
0: <laughs> and if you don't finish it, you don't get the eyeball scene. Um, you also yep. don't get the. It's kind of a chore. The final mission of Dead Space Two, if memory yes. serves, you're getting chased by that big, unkillable beefer, and it just goes on and on and on, and I remember it being very hard. Anyways, loved that game, and um, really, really, just really enjoyed it, and realized at that time, I think, that I loved Dead Space. And then, of course, was pretty disappointed by Dead Space 3. And then, really, just over the next decade came to really love and appreciate a lot of things about horror video games that I didn't in 2008. So it's really cool going back and playing this game again, basically, and kind of reflecting on all of the ways that I've changed and all the things about it that I love now that I found, that I liked in 2008, but I found pretty intense and scary and kind of, you know, I, I couldn't really stick with it because I just wanted to go play something more relaxing. Now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much more of a junkie for the sort of intense, you know, pressure cooker that this game puts you through.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Jason, how about you?
2: So I am a newcomer to this entire franchise for... I think a pretty good reason that I'll explain in a second. Um, I am playing this dead space for the first time, really my first time playing any dead space game. And, um, I'm up to chapter two. I think I played a couple of hours. Um, I'm like, I just got a pulse rifle. I'm up in the medical bay looking for the captain's body and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, the reason that I haven't played any Dead Space and probably won't play much more of this is because this is just totally not a genre I care about or find interesting or exciting. Um, just sci-fi horror shooter games where like you're just kind of shooting a bunch of aliens are just not for me unless there's some other kind of either another cerebral element involved or like I don't know something else to kind of grasp onto. Um, the way there there has been in some just other too cultured,
0: just a man of culture and sophistication. If there were more books in Dead Space. Just no, it's would be not that.
2: If this was if this was like a fantasy action game, it would probably be totally my jam. It's just that sci-fi hard isn't my thing. Mm -hmm. That said, I really appreciate it and how well made it is and how slick everything looks and feels. It's gorgeous. It's like definitely... Up there, I'm playing on PS5. It's up there with one of the most gorgeous, with, with the, go- the most gorgeous games I've played ever. Um, it looks really cool. I I like getting to like stomp on the the xenomorphs and Yeah, there's their... a stomp
1: button. That's the a very important cool. part of this um, game.
2: <laughs> plasma cutter is cool. The faces all look good. The dialogues, so, like everything about it, is just extremely competently made, and I really appreciate it. It's just not my thing at all, and I don't know. I think there's a place in everybody heart for games that they appreciate and find to be very competently made but just have no interest or desire to play
1: Mm -hmm. it's totally my thing i i mean i love and hate horror in equal measure like alien is one (laughs) of my favorite movies of all time obviously, because I love Metroid. But Metroid is like, okay, what if we took Alien and we made it not scary, and you're like the most powerful person ever, and you're just slowly walking around becoming even more powerful while you fight the aliens. And this game is, of course, the opposite of that. <laughs> it's more like, okay, so you're on an abandoned space station, something horrible has happened, but there isn't just one alien. There's like a thousand of them, and also they're people that you know in some cases, who have been transformed into this other being. And there are a variety of ways that they sneak up on you that I find very effective. Kirk, I know you're just an old hand at horror now, so none of this probably even scares you, but just the fact that they have extremely long arms and that therefore the first thing you see when they sneak up on you is their very long claw.
2: <laughs> There's just
1: something about that that is like, the worst slash it's the like best if you, of you sort of enjoy machine. being a, a little bit scared, which I do. <laughs> it's just like, ah! <laughs> I don't even know. I have to, <laughs> I can't put it into English words. I can only scream it. <laughs> Jason,
0: I do like that. This is the, basically the stuffed animal perspective of being uh-huh, in a claw uh-huh. machine. That is yeah, kind yeah, of what it feels yes. like. A that's the claw, claw descending really at, the at you at all coming times.
1: towards you. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is an old hat for me. Actually, I am struck by how awesome the necromorphs are. What an incredible bad guy for a horror game they're scarier than anything i can think of in any horror game that i've played honestly yes, they're They're so nightmarish looking. The way they come at you is so hard to deal with. Um, (laughs) there's a reason that this game gives you a weapon to slow them down and then allows you to, you know, which allows you to kind of carve their limbs off, which is Mm -hmm. the central mechanic of this game is you have to cut the limbs off of necromorphs. Or if you really know what you're doing, you cut one limb off, then grab it with your kinesis gun and then throw the limb back at the necromorph, which is like the crucial loop. Yes, and winds up being very crucial for me. Anyways, I keep running Mm -hmm. out of ammo.
1: Well, you're probably playing it on, like, Whatever danger. No, I'm just hard playing hardcore. on normal.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> okay, I'm not fair. that. I'm not that hardcore. I, uh, I'm just playing on normal. <laughs> I think it's really oh, we, well designed. Kirk, you, you
2: have to understand. We all think of you as Seven Death
1: Hamilton
0: I know. That's game. true. I you just I accepted suppose. this. Fair enough. You. Fair enough. I've earned my <laughs> reputation as an elite gamer. No, I, I think the necromorphs are amazing. I mean, all these years later, it's still they're still cooler looking monsters than I've seen in almost any game, and they also dovetail really well with the level design and the environment design in this game, which has always been strong. Um, the Ishimura is a horrifying ship. It's wild <laughs> to think about going and working and living on that thing for years or whatever in deep space. Because
1: Yeah, even before it's dilapidated <laughs> and mean, destroyed I mean, and you have,
0: have to presumably like... Presumably it's less horrifying.
1: Yeah, it was probably I don't know. fairly know The normal. lights are
0: on. <laughs> I've been down in totally. the engine room and it's pretty much like you're in the belly of a...
2: D- I mean, the engine room of anything is going to be scary. Engine rooms are scary. It would
1: be so funny if they did a DLC of the Ishimura that was just like super normal. Like the lights are on like that tram actually works like everything about it is like beautiful and gorgeous just to see what it's like you know
2: by the way fun fact ishimura means stone village in japanese
0: oh nice uh, i don't know why know it's that. called
2: the i don't know
0: if that's related to the plot at all but it's a fun, i don't think so the specifically the way that it dovetails with the design is that there are lots of spindly little spikes and other things around in the environment and a lot of times you can't see and you have to aim to see because then Isaac's flashlight mm-hmm. shines and the lighting mm-hmm. effects of course especially with modern technology are very impressive so you're always casting shadows everywhere and yeah. so many of the shadows that you cast are big spiky they arms like basically <laughs> of so I don't
1: I don't remember this in the first game I think this might just be something that they're more capable of doing now but a lot of it is The fact that your shadow is so tall in so many instances, just due to the lighting placement, like there'll just be some weird light bulb on the ground for some reason so that you can have an absurdly tall shadow and you just see your own shadow out of the corner of your eye and you're like, "Ah, is that a freaking air vent with a guy jumping out of it at me? (laughs) But no, it's just your own shadow. And the other thing I wanted to shout out that's kind of similar to the shadow and this was just pure luck on my part because I looked up the cutscene later to see if it was timed this way. But there's this moment on the bridge. You go back to the docking bay at one point pretty early on. Jason, you've probably gone past this at least. Where you go back to the bridge and you like, you know, meet meet the person who was stuck back on the ship waiting for mm-hmm. you. And then, of course, yeah. she dies because everybody dies. This is a horror game. <laughs> and then you're like heading back out off the bridge again. And there's this screen really far away from you at the end of the bridge that is showing like a promotional video of like the crew of the ishimura do you guys remember this Mm -hmm. so like there's this really creepy zoom in on like all the faces of the people of the ishimura and like (laughs) i for some reason like i was shooting at a necromorph like right in front of um that screen and like as soon as it died that absurd zoom in on all the faces happened like right as it was dropping and i was like oh my god there's a million of them i'm gonna freaking die like i was like panicking (laughs) at like a promotional video of human beings and then i was like whoa that's so cool because technically all of those people are my enemies that i'm fighting Mm, it's just that they've all been transformed and it was i was like oh that's (laughs) so freaking perfect like this environmental storytelling is so sick and then i looked it up and i'm like no that's just a Coincidence that that happened to be like the way that that particular video was lined up in that moment, and it's like one of the scariest visual things that happened to me in this game, and it just unfolded that way because of the game kind of setting up something that could happen that way. That's it was super video cool. game
0: storytelling. Hell yeah, That's pretty cool. I'm finding that the headspace that this game puts you in, the sort of emotional the, the contour head, of it, the headspace yeah, the, is, that the head a, is that intentional? Yes. Space? Dead space three headspace. <laughs> The headspace that this game puts you in is remarkable and kind of different from your average zombie or even horror game because of the sort of cosmic nature yes. of the the threat of the, of the horror. It is, this is kind of a zombie game, but it's also it really is bringing in this cosmic element that to me at least has always felt... It's really Bloodborne. This is a Bloodborne remake. It is kind is of Bloodborne-esque, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, so it... It's borrowing from some of the same influences, Bloodborne, the same kinds of cosmic Mm -hmm. horror, Lovecraftian. Yes, well, and yeah, it's Lovecraft, but it's Lovecraft at this point is so diluted down through subsequent influences. Really, the influence in this game that I detect the strongest is Event Horizon. Have either of you seen Event Horizon?
1: No, but I'm familiar.
0: So this is a 1997 movie directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. I went and saw it memorably with a French exchange student who was staying with me in high school. Oh, la la. I don't know why I went to see this movie. I, don't, I didn't go see horror movies in the theater a lot. I, I really can't remember. I think I liked the Michael Crichton novel Sphere, and it looked kind of like Sphere. So I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go to Event Horizon. So Event Horizon is a horrifying movie. I love it. I think of it. it's one of my favorite horror movies just because it's deeply, deeply terrifying i've always found it to be very very scary and the story is very similar it's i think it's a mining ship but it's a or a salvage ship out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. like goes alien. silent and then a rescue crew arrives on the ship and is like well what happened here and they walk into again like the most horrifying looking ship even leaving aside any monsters or anything scary just <laughs> this gothic like sarcophagus in space which is very similar to the ishimura and then of course Something horrible has happened, but it's it's different than alien because an alien, what's happened is there's basically an animal on the ship. That's all mm-hmm. alien is. It's yep. just the xenomorph is just a an, an dangerous panther, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah, it's just a being from elsewhere that's brought in. Loose yeah.
0: tiger in the zoo. Yeah, it's a loose tiger. It just happens to be very scary looking. Where in the case of Vent Horizon, they were... Do, they like went through a black hole, I think, to try to travel somewhere and they accidentally jumped dimensions to hell. And they went to actual hell and then they brought hell back with them and there's like a portal to hell. So the things that are coming after the heroes are way more abstract and weird and kind of, you know, there's more insanity and more horrible like body mutilation, people ripping themselves apart and like really disturbing imagery that goes way beyond, you know, basically a space bear rips you apart um, Mm -hmm. and the camera work makes it scary. And that's what's happening here, too, is there's this marker that connects everything. There are these whispers and the necromorphs are this kind of fundamentally mysterious Force. They're networked together. There's a there's something animating them, but it's yeah. never totally clear. And I know some of that is explained in parts of Dead Space three or like books or something mm-hmm. that and I like haven't read. Like the comic and so on. Yeah, <laughs> the midichlorians of this universe.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's actually the extended universe is pretty cool. But go. Okay.
0: It is no. There's there's plenty of good storytelling in Dead Space, but in this game at least, it's not really explored. But it is much more than just oh, there's a virus that turns people into yeah. zombies. It's mm-hmm. there's something more there. There's something deeper and more mysterious and kind of farther back. From from our ordinary experience. I think that's yeah. like an important yeah. part of the vibe of the game.
1: That's the part that I found really scary, too, is just the idea that this marker could infect you, but in a way that a virus couldn't. It infects your mind and you start right. seeing visions. Like, I, I mean, Jason, I know you're not that far, but you probably already read like some emails or, you know, voice logs or whatever where people talk about seeing visions and, oh, like I hear something in the gears, but there's nobody down there. And, the idea that that would be some of the early symptoms of you becoming a claw hand guy, it just makes it so much scarier because it's like, oh, you just, you can't escape this, this, and it, it also becomes sort of a religious Uh, phenomenon as well and they get more into that in the second game where people are like Mm -hmm. worshiping the markers and it's like um,
2: yeah the moment that I enjoyed was walking into a hallway and seeing uh, a dude just banging his head against the wall classic
0: dead space yeah
2: yeah, the the psychological horror of it all is a lot more disturbing than really the animal Uh, Kirk I think that's a salient point because the idea of like an, an animal trapped with you is scary but like the idea of something trapped in your brain is a lot scarier the yeah. idea that you can't it's like not this external force that you can just do away with, with but this internal thing and that's what makes pandemics so scary and viruses so scary and it's also what makes something like this so scary
1: mhm and also what can make like an extremist religion so scary and like a conspiracy mm-hmm. and like the idea of a conspiracy taking over people that you know and you not being able to help them i mean I think the second game is a, delves a, deeper into the idea of that as an additional layer of horror, and it's why I'm pretty excited that one assumes EA will remake the second game, too, because this this first version of the remake adds in more story than the first game originally had, and I really like all the additions, and I can tell they're, like, building on the sort of religious element and the conspiracy element of the horror as well, and that part... It freaks me out, but like I'm so impressed by the way that it freaks me out, and i'm really I really respect it. I'm like very into the way that they've incorporated that theme,
0: yeah there I mean the second game has Isaac as the main character again and historically, so in 2008, Isaac did not talk in the original yes. game. And as a result, he was kind of a non-character, which worked fine for the game, really, for what it was. And they haven't actually had to change that much to turn him into a talking character who takes his helmet off sometimes and has a face. But because he I know a lot where yeah. the story is going, well, he talks, but it's not like he's really, you know, I don't know, like, um, he's not Nathan Drake. Like, he, he does talk, <laughs> but he doesn't talk as much as he might. And in the second game, he is a very present force in the story. And it's all about, I mean he's the sole survivor of the Ishimura. And so the second game deals with that a lot. And he is like losing his mind and is being pursued by the ghosts of characters from the first game and seeing like horrifying visions. So there's way more of that psychological horror, which is kind of the, if we're in, staying in video game land, it's kind of the Silent Hill to the Resident Evil. You know, yeah. those are the if those are the two schools of video game horror, where <laughs> one is more psychological and one is more just there's a monster coming at you, um, mm-hmm. it allows them to have a little more of that uh, and they certainly have a lot more in the sequel, but the fact that they're bringing some of that back into the first game, just it's nice. It like it changes the mix up a little bit. Did mm-hmm. either of you guys play the Callisto Protocol? No, oh. I watched some videos of it and just didn't really make time for it.
2: Yeah, it seems like it got pretty middling reviews, but it was just interesting to see that a spiritual successor to Dead Space, um, directed by Glenn Schofield, who was one of the de- one of the designers, one of the leads on the original games. Um, that that came out at the same time as this, like, big Dead Space remake. But people seem much, much more intrigued and interested and into the Dead Space remake. It just Mm -hmm. sounds
0: like the Callisto Protocol didn't have that sort of... It's not even secret sauce, just that sauce that Dead Space has, where Uh the way that... The way the animations and the combat encounters and the design of the levels all work together and the weapon designs, like, it makes for a really amazing gameplay cocktail. Like, okay, so I was talking about how horror is dread and panic. It's kind of these two feelings. And a good horror game mixes the two. And we've talked a lot about the dread, right? That's the sort of... The feeling of oppressive fear. It's scary. You know something's coming, especially in this game because it's so formulaic. You know Mm -hmm. when a necromorph comes at you from the front, there's gonna be one behind you. You walk into a room, there's a whole bunch of explosive canisters everywhere, and you think, oh (laughs) shit, here we go. So you kind of you're you're dreading what's coming next, right? They put you in that mind space really effectively. This game does panic really well. The panicked fights in this game are incredible. Oh, yeah. Partly because of the enemy design, which we've talked about. The limbs are really hard to aim at. They always are moving in unpredictable ways. (laughs) You're like, yeah, like trying to... You can't just kind of unload on them in the way that you want to because you have to save your ammo. And then always, always when there's a monster coming at you from the front... There's a monster coming at you from behind, and you just learn to know that, and you can almost feel it behind you. (laughs) Like, when you're taking the time to aim, it's like, I just know that fucker's behind me, and I gotta get the shot off and figure out what I'm gonna do next. And um, it's just, it's a million little things. It's the magic of gameplay design, and it's not easy to do. I mean, it's been 15 years since Dead Space came out, and the only games I've really played that feel like it are Dead Space 2, (laughs) and, like, parts of Dead Space 3. (laughs)
2: Do you yeah. think, Kirk, do you think that the music cue also, always happening when there's a necromorph morph coming at you, do you think that like has any impact on the whole dread and horror thing? Do you think it takes away from the surprise when like the music
0: music yeah, goes so all off music. and then you know that uh, yeah. you're about to be attacked? And
1: once you kill him, all, that music goes away and you yeah. get to just... Vibe and silence Maddie, for a Maddie,
0: um, I was reading your article about how to make the game less scary, which is a great yes. article, a, a genre of article that I love. Oh, interesting. Okay, we should link that in the show yeah. notes.
1: And one of my tips was don't turn the music off, because right, if you turn it off, there's actually... you'll be
2: really I was reading when...
1: multiple threads yeah. of people who had done that and were like, it makes the game so much scarier, because uh-huh. you never have any idea... When the necromorphs are coming, or when you're done, most importantly,, because yeah. they could ah. keep coming, and you don't know, and you only can rely on visual cues, and usually you can't hear them coming, they're just in the freaking vents everywhere you go, they're just waiting for you to walk by, so they can zip out, and get you
0: so I think it's interesting, I mean I think it's a choice. the music is an early warning system, it really is the more you play, the more even if you're not consciously aware of it, it just you start hearing the music and you're like, okay, here we go, you know. (laughs) But there are all sorts of keys. Like I was saying, you know, if you walk into a room, first off, you're playing Dead Space, so you're going to be attacked by Necromorphs. Like, this is what? just not going to be a peaceful jaunt down the hallway. But but, also, but I'm know,
1: simply trying to collect a key card. I'm, I'm simply walking down the hallway. I'm just, hallway. Well, I'm just wondering.
2: I mean, I guess, I guess, Maddie, you just answered my question because I was wondering if that music takes away from the impact of the horror of them coming at you and the surprise of them coming at you.
0: It adds to the impact because it's specific. It's a specific thing they're going for for. They don't want you to feel surprised. They want you to know what's coming and to feel the tension ratcheting up, which this game does on every single you know, vector that they can. The environmental design, the level design, mm-hmm. the story, the pacing. You're mm-hmm. constantly feeling like you're like put, it's, you feel the pressure coming and coming and coming and then the music stops and it releases and you know you can kind of take a breath. I think that it's all part of them giving you that experience. They need to give you those signals because they're not trying to surprise you. The jump scares aren't, right. you know, it's not trying to like come out of nowhere like a movie jump scare where it's a shine. you know, a happy sunny day and then, oh, like, something scary happens. Like, That They just can't do that, and so they don't try to. And I'd offer Alien Isolation as a comparison point because that game doesn't do that, where you'll just be walking around and you don't know if the alien is going to drop out of a ceiling vent one room over from you because the game isn't structured the same way. There's this sort of artificial intelligence driving the alien. It's always sort of hunting you. But it's not a scripted scare the way that Dead Space is constantly scripted. So it can be more random and it does make you jump or feel that, you know, sinking feeling of, oh, God, now I have to deal with this alien, you know, in addition to whatever else I was dealing with. A very, very different feeling than playing Dead Space and one that uh, that's a context I actually didn't have when I was playing the game in 2008. And now that I've played Alien Isolation, it gives me a whole different appreciation for the way this game is designed and for what it's doing.
1: Mm-hmm. And there is also at least one difference between Dead Space 1 and the remake that we're talking about where there is a slight amount of randomness now, which I don't know if you noticed this, Kirk. But in one, as far as I know, every jump scare, as it were, was planned. Like you, each each necromorph would be in a certain place, in the same place every time if you replay the level. Whereas in this game, there are differences. So if mm. you replay parts of it It might jump out of a different vent, for example, or in a slightly different order or at a different time. I think the number of enemies is the same. There have only been a a couple missions I've replayed out of curiosity just to be like, where are they going to come out this time? And there are definitely differences. Hmm. And there are also just rooms where a certain number of necromorphs are going to attack you no matter what. Like there's going to be certain types or what have you. But they did randomize it slightly, which I think adds... I mean, it's it's just delicious frosting to me. Like, everything they added, I'm like, this is actually really good. And I was actually pretty skeptical about this remake going in. Like, hearing that Isaac would talk, for example, I was like, well, they, <laughs> that could mm-hmm. be terrible. And, like, that they were adding more story. I'm like, what's to add? And now here I am, like, watching these videos and being like, oh, my God, <laughs> these guys are going to die. I'm so worried about my friends. I, I, I don't know. I really dig it. I like everything that they've added so far.
0: I'm really finding that the balance, um, just the game balances. really good I've multiple times found myself having exactly the amount of ammunition that I needed to survive a fight and I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if just how you were talking about the sort of slightly varying enemy placements Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're doing something similar to I know Resident Evil 4 does this Where it adapts the difficulty to how you're doing and it drops different amounts of health and ammo based on where you are. So you always have like enough to make it through depending on the difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's remarkable. Like two or three fights, I've been really. The thing where I'm stomping and kind of frantically looking for something that I can throw because I have almost no ammunition left and I kill the last necromorph with my very last bullet. And I mean,. I know they're designing it so that it works that way. It's, it's not an accident that that's happening and that it's happening consistently, but it's remarkable in the moment to just experience it because it feels just so scrappy and natural and and sort of organic.
1: Hmm. I also wanted to mention the content warning system. I would guess you two mm. are not using it, but I think it's really cool. So I just wanted to shout out that it's another thing about the remake that I really am liking. So... There are a couple things they've added. Um, One of them is just to put text on the screen that warns you about the nature of the graphic violence that you're about to see. And it's, like, super subtle. I was worried it was going to be, like, some big pop-up that was, like... Get ready, a guy's gonna bash his head into the wall and then he's gonna fall over and die. And it's not like that at all. It's very subtle. It's like top right of the screen, I believe. And it just tells you, like, you know, self depictions of self harm or whatever is applicable to the scenario. And you can tune it out or not. I mean, you can also decide whether or not to turn it on in the first place. And the other thing that you can do that I've done mostly to make the game less scary for myself is that you can blur out some of the extreme violence that happens and that just adds like a blurry box over stuff, which I Hmm. find funny, which helps me be less scared (laughs) or in other scenes where Isaac is present for the scene, they basically just blur out everything else that's happening besides Isaac. So it just looks like he's escaping from like a hurricane briefly. And then after the scene is over, it fades away and you can just see a bunch of dead bodies in the room and be like, okay, cool. Those people all got killed. It's pretty well done.
0: This is in line with the content filter conversation we were having an episode or two ago yeah uh, that's really cool that they do that
2: well so that's okay so that i mean we don't have to go on a whole tangent about this but that makes for a more interesting philosophical debate because this is added by not the original creators Correct. of the game when yeah. we were talking about it like the the blood filter and stuff we were talking about something that would be added by the creators this is something that is added later by different people working on the remake so mm-hmm. interesting interesting debate there too
1: yeah, although I wouldn't call it censorship per se, because it's not like you aren't still participating in the scene. You're just blurring it out. So it's an optional it's an optional filter. Optional. So this is yeah, like
2: it, whatever. Censorship <laughs> is definitely not the word that yeah, I would it's, use. It's
1: also kinda like turning the brightness way up, which mm. I've been known to do on games mm. that are too dark and scary. Uh doesn't really help with this game because it's so dark that even turning up the brightness kind yeah, of no, doesn't really you just can't achieve see. anything at all. Uh Or like turning down just the fidelity of the graphics overall to, you know, play Quake better or whatever, like to just make it look like a bunch of pixels and that's it. I I suppose Mm -hmm. you could do that if you wanted to make dead space a really weird cerebral experience for yourself Um,
2: so a couple of things that struck me again uh just as a non kind of fan but someone who's appreciating this for the art that it is Mm -hmm. one thing i liked and one thing i didn't like i'll start with the thing i didn't like the thing i didn't like is um the upgrading system it just seemed kind of superfluous and nonsensical and very 2008 Yeah. yeah very extremely 2008 um the thing I really liked is the UI and the way that like the doors, like the way that the mm-hmm. your your button appears and it's like continue question mark, go in, refill, yep. save station. Um, and the way that your menu opens up kind of diegetically within the world. I think it's all really cool and, and very much adds to the experience of like this. Uh, scary world where you can't take yourself out of it for
0: even a second even opening the menu doesn't take yeah, you out of the issue you more. You're stuck yeah. on this thing man. Yeah. Isaac's stuck. That was groundbreaking all of that. The UX stuff was groundbreaking at the time.
1: Yeah and the health <laughs> bar is on yeah, your Yeah the health body. bar on
2: your backpack. Yeah also really cool. Yeah, So yeah.
1: cool. This was the first game I had ever seen that did that. Um, the
2: lack of markers and stuff, I bet Kirk, Kirk really They was. made a
0: big deal out of it when it came out that that was like one of their stated goals.
1: Yeah, I really liked that. And I, I had forgotten how much I liked it, uh, despite obsessing about it at the time. And then playing this game again, I was like, oh yeah, the health bar's on your body. And also your little stasis charge up is on your body. The mm-hmm. other piece of it that I like is... Just as I was thinking to myself, wow, it's crazy that I have this stasis power, like this time stopping power, like I guess in the 26th century, humans just discover time stopping power. And then as (laughs) Uh I was having uh that thought, I was walking by a poster that was advertising the use of it and I, and it was like oh you know here's the discovery of this and i was like yeah all right dead space you were thinking maybe i'd be questioning this and and you you explained to me that this is a technological <laughs> innovation and it isn't just magic video game powers this is actually yeah, explained I by mean, the world yeah i mean that's
2: straight out of system shock 2 which I no dig doubt it doubt inspired inspired the hell out of this game right. the whole system oh, yeah. shock uh,
1: And Half-Life. I mean, Kirk, I'll tee you up if you want to talk about Half-Life for a (laughs) second. You can. I'll allow it.
0: (laughs) I I appreciated playing this after replaying Half-Life 2 with the two of you, where this game has a lot in common with Half-Life. But, I mean, System Shock, absolutely, and System Shock 2. And then even Bioshock, which, granted, came out a year before this game, so they were in development at the same time. But you can see how a whole school of game designers... Came up playing System Shock and Half Life, and took some of those ideas and translated them into, you know, a slightly more streamlined console-friendly kind of game design, which is definitely what this is. There are so many parts of this game that feel like Half Life. There's a part early on where you walk into a room and there's a scientist on the other side of some glass who then gets eaten by a monster, which yeah. just happens multiple yeah. times at the beginning of yeah, the first. Yeah, happens Half-Life. multiple uh-huh. times
1: in the game. It's not just one part. You mm-hmm. are behind glass several times watching other people yeah. get eaten. Which by is very mom.
0: 2008. I mean, there are yeah. things in this that just make me nostalgic for that period of game design. It just, it feels very much like Bioshock, which the second one does too. But mm-hmm. also I think the remake aspect of this is really interesting because we're kind of learning, right? I mean, between this and the Demon Souls remake that there's a lot of meat on those bones of that sort of mid, late 2000s era of video game where if you just mm-hmm. take... Something that's pretty close to the original, gussy it up, make it look really, really nice, maybe fine tune the controls, add some quality of life stuff. You've got a stew going. You've got a really good game. And that, you know, we've <laughs> we got a stew going. It just feels like we're going to keep bringing this back, and I'm fine with it. Do you that.
2: have any dream? Okay, let's all, let's all pick a dream 2000, 2000, mid to late 2000s remake game oh, that man. we would like to see.
1: Well, they're already rebooting Perfect Dark. I feel like I've already yeah. achieved what I wanted. I just have to wait for it.
2: Well, no. This is. I thought it was a sequel. I thought the perfect joke they're working
0: on is more of a sequel. I mean, I just want Far Cry Two. Yeah, or
1: Far it's Cry remake Two. Remake Far
2: Cry Two. What about uh, Red Dead One? I would like to see that. Yeah, but modern. they made
0: Red Red Dead Two. You know.
2: Yeah, I would like to see that, like with the, just the same gameplay mm-hmm. as Red Dead
0: Two. Yeah. I've seen some discussion among people who are theorizing that Motive will remake Dead Space 2. But then, Mm -hmm. of course, in that conversation, there are always people saying, well, maybe they should just make their own Dead Space game. Like, I think the the Dead Space... Fan's dream is a remake of Dead Space 2 just because it's a beloved, very good game. and mm-hmm. then a new version of Dead Space 3 that just rewrites the story of Dead Space Three <laughs> uh, <And yeah>. like because <laughs> that game is pretty dire like it does it uh-huh. ruins a bunch of characters. It has a mm-hmm. totally bananas ending. It's worth looking up the ending to Dead Space it 3 is. even if you'll never
1: play. Also, you, like, fight I, I a planet. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it, but like this game does make some changes to the ending of Dead Space 1, which oh, suggests that maybe they will change some plot things in Dead Space 2. And I just looked it up because I wanted to know where it was going to go and I've already sure. played the original game, so it's, it's fine. I don't really consider it a spoiler at this point for myself personally. Uh, and so I am kind of curious if they were to quote-unquote remake Dead Space 2, they could still keep in some of the best parts of it but also change the story and tee up a completely different version of Dead Space 3, which is sort of a fun way to approach a remake. It's all, it's kind of Final Fantasy Seven remake style where you I'm end up you going in a different direction by the end than what was expected.
0: Right, it, especially with a video game, you're kind of, given the opportunity to do that sort of a corrective, because you can take a lot of the gameplay stuff, the things that people really remembered and Mm -hmm. enjoyed, and then you can just change the narrative some ways or other ways, because you've, you know, the whole story was already told and it was probably told with some major flaws just given the way that long-term video game stories tend to be told, so Mm -hmm. you can kind of return to it give people the thing that they remember, you know, in this case, shooting the limbs off of Necromorphs, and then <laughs> go in some new directions with the story over time, which is exciting. I mean, it seems like this is doing well. I get the sense that they're going to want to do this. Um, mm-hmm. So as long as people are, are down to keep remaking old games, or, or at least are given the freedom to have some satisfaction doing that, to, you know, creative, to feel creatively fulfilled doing it, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah,
0: there are a couple of games from that era that
2: are getting remakes. The Witcher One from two thousand seven. That's right. It's that game could really use it
0: because I uh, I got, I've only played a little bit. Good story, but like it's really tough to play that now after playing The Witcher Three. There are rumors of a Metroid Prime remake. That's a little course, bit earlier. Fingers but crossed. Course, Hopefully, that got announced era. like
1: last night or whatever. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe. At
2: the, at the, perhaps there's uh, Modern Warfare. Well, that's more of a reboot or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, uh, just a, a little bit of a uh, uh, long shot hope here, I would like to see a remake of the 2006 game, 24 The Game, featuring Kiefer Sutherland and Jack Bauer. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> I wasn't
2: sure what you were going to say, but I wasn't Why didn't you say
1: Dante's Inferno? I'm so confused right now. That's another um, 24 early... The Game
2: is, of course, in case you're curious, it, it features most of the voice acting cast is the actors from the show. It really? is between seasons 2 and 3 and in fact it's it it's canon? like it clears up a cliffhanger it's 100% canon it clears up a cliffhanger from season 2 i believe And why wasn't Uh, that the bet game game
1: for this year for you, 24, the video game? (laughs) Because it's hard
2: to play like a PS2 game these Mm -hmm, days mm -hmm, unless mm -hmm. you crack open a a PS2. I don't think it's very
0: playable these days. There's also a
2: Lost game. I don't know if either of you played that, but you want to talk late
0: 2000s. Oh man, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for that, Jason, and I was about to say Lost via Domus. (laughs) What about Uh uh that? Did you play that? I did, of course. I I was so obsessed
2: with Lost. I man, yeah, that's that. a
0: 2008 ass game. If ever. Wow. that game,
2: that the ending of that game was like opened up all sorts of mysteries. It was basically <laughs> oh, like just to quickly sum it up you play as this guy who's like a survivor who's just never seen in the show cuz like in the show right yeah he's just a guy <laughs> well no well they're 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 extras all throughout the show yeah, that right, you just right. never meet so he's one of the extras and like basically he his wife like either died in the crash or he can't find her or whatever or like he couldn't save her blah 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 goes through the game like goes in the hatch like meets Locke does all sorts of shit for, for a bunch of Just does uh, it hours. like five
1: seconds after the main cast. And then he cast. winds yeah, up yeah. he
2: get he gets a compass from Ben Linus I think with like degrees to leave and he gets on a boat and he leaves the island and when he <laughs> leaves the island following these degrees he just like has a flash and wakes up again in the exact same position he was in when the game started except the wife he was looking for is like next to him now and then it's like lost and like cliffhanger and <laughs> it was crazy. It was so ridiculous. Wait,
1: was it a whole game was a dream
2: no it wasn't a dream it was like he changed time but then oh, of oh, course oh. this says nothing that like the show is totally different I, it's nonsense <laughs> <We're>, it's
1: <laughs> talk about okay.
2: games that do not need to be remade that is i don't know they might... should remake the entire sixth season of Lost. that's what they should
1: <laughs> 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 oh, first goodness.
2: the game then the show that's talk about a show we should do a beanscast of. Anyway.
1: Oh, who has the time Jason yeah who has the really. time. anyway so clearly we, we're done talking about Dead Space <laughs> I, th- I think we've really covered it now um, uh, let's, it's so
0: good it's great I love it amazing. I think people should play it it's I'm so psyched good. they remade it I'm gonna keep playing it it's, it's really good
1: it's amazing uh, we will take a break and be back with one more thing <laughs> Oh, Russ, hey, hey. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I found you in line.
0: These clouds are really freaking me out.
1: I hate having to stand in line and boy, what a line. These
0: giraffes do not smell good. No, they
1: do not, and they have such short necks. But
0: I'm hearing we need to get on this we arc. we got to
1: get on the arc. It's yeah. about to rain, God is about to destroy humanity. Hey, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. Are you Noah?
0: Yeah, I know we look like humans, but we're actually <laughs> yes, we're <totally>. podcasters. <laughs> we
1: are podcasters, so it's different.
0: Have you heard of Ono Ross and Carrie? We
1: investigate spirituality, claims of the paranormal, stuff like that. And
0: you have a boat and say the world's gonna end, so it seemed like something for us to check out.
1: We would love to be on the boat.
0: We came two by two. What do you think? Ono, Ross and Carrie. Available on maximumfun.org. Oh my gosh, hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe. To troubled Waters. I look around this
2: ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound Reba's clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a
0: city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts.
1: We are back. I will go first with my one more thing because it's related to aliens. Oh, okay. (laughs) And it is, I am rereading Animorphs. I'm not sure how far I'm going to get, but I have begun Animorphs number one, The Invasion. I'm happy
0: about this. Is this because we talked about Animorphs on TikTok? It's kind of because we talked about about Animorphs.
1: It's kind of because everyone's talking about Animorphs lately. Uh, And it's also because. They have released, very slowly since 2020, Scholastic has released audiobook versions of every single Animorphs mainline novel, of which there are 54. And they're putting out the 48th book this year. They're not quite done releasing all the audiobooks is what I'm getting at. Most of them are done.
0: Wow. So that's how many hours of listening? I don't
1: know. A lot. Wow. (laughs) It's going to take me a while. I... I don't know if I'm this is why I began by saying I'm not sure how far I'm going to get. But I'm having a really great time. These books are great. I remember loving them as a kid. I also remember every adult will tell you, oh, they're actually really dark. And like, yeah, they are. But they're kids books. Like, it's fine. You're going to be okay. (laughs) And uh, they're about an alien invasion. I'm going to describe the premise of Animorphs just in case the listener wants to check out Animorphs. I've never read Animorphs.
2: I'm I'm happy to hear Um, that. You missed out, Kirk.
0: I know. More I was obsessed old. with Anomorphism. I know we talked
2: about and they it. They came on the out show. once a month. It was crazy. They had a new book every single I month. I
1: know. KA um. Applegate, she was out there. She was writing as fast as she could. Body horror yeah. for children. Her and R.L. Stein. Icons. Anyway. Truly. So Aliens Truly scholastic
2: land. book fair icons.
1: <laughs> <laughs> aliens land in a group of diverse, adorable teens get their, their lives shaken up by the discovery that aliens had actually already invaded Earth. Kind of like the aliens in Peacemaker, if you've seen that show. Uh, There's like little bugs Mm -hmm. in a whole bunch of people's brains controlling them, controlling their thoughts. But the alien that these teenagers run into is actually a friendly alien. He's kind of shaped like a stag and he's blue. And he's like, hey, guys, there's a bunch of really bad bugs (laughs) controlling people (laughs) on Earth. And I'm dying. And in my death, I'm going to give you the superpower for the five of you to turn into animals. Any animal that you touch, you can get its DNA and then Sick, learn how a, to turn into it. it's a pretty
0: reasonable it. plan for fighting off an invasion. Yeah. Is like, pick a few really kids, easy. let them turn into animals.
1: Well, listen, this, this guy's dying. He didn't have any options. <laughs>
0: I, I mean, there's so
2: much lore and canon and you wind up with these side books that tell the story from his perspective. Yep. And it turns mm-hmm. out that these five guys, like, they weren't coincidentally there. Like, it's of there course. were good reasons. Like, he knew what yeah. he was doing. Freaking
1: real. absurd. Anyway, it's incredible. The kids are great. The body horror descriptions are freaking absurd. Like the descriptions of every horrifying alien, and then also the descriptions, like line by line, of a child turning into a dog or whatever. Like that sounds really cool when you're a kid. But as an adult reading it, I'm like, this is horrifying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, their bones crack. That's like in The Magicians, they turn into foxes and it's horrifying, or they turn into birds and it's like as messed up Uh as that would actually be. Yeah, it's extremely Uh messed uh up. So
1: yeah, Animorphs. The audiobook is freaking great. Yeah, that's I what I going to say. I expect ask. all the rest of them will be amazing. Uh, nice. so I'm excited. I'm excited to listen to a bunch of Animorphs. Um Jason, I see you also have a book.
2: Wait, I have a quick question. Is oh, there sure. a way to like easily just get like a PDF with all of them yes. or like an ebook with all of them? There's an extremely
1: days? easy way. I actually wrote an article for polygon.com today oh, okay. about I'll this. I'll check it out. <laughs> the PDFs are all available for free on the anamorph subreddit. So you have no oh, excuse wow. not to read them.
2: Is that Leg- like legally? Well, K.A.
1: Applegate says it's okay and Scholastic hasn't oh. ever weighed in. So oh. you be the judge of whether it's legal or not. Interesting. <laughs> well, I would I,
2: I mean, I would like to s- just chip in a few bucks if of she course. still gets them. Of if you,
1: you want to try before you buy, as it were. Yeah. Well, I, I just found
2: if there's an easy way to buy it. But I'll look up your article. I'll check it out. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. My one more thing is also a book. It's a book called All Good People Here uh, by Ashley Flowers, who is a podcaster who wrote this novel. So it turns out podcasters can write books, just so you guys know. Whoa. Um, So the concept concept. of this book is very, it's very, um, uh, it's very Jillian Flynn, um, Mm. Sharp Objects, if you guys remember that book slash show. Um, The concept is this woman goes home uh she's a journalist she goes back to her she's a journalist in a big big city uh goes home to her small town in indiana where uh shout out to kirk where um Mm -hmm. there was a murder of a small of a young girl committed 25 years ago and now there's another kind of like kidnapping slash murder that fits the same profile and she wants to figure out what's up but she has personal connections to the case and yada 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 very very sharp objects um and as the story goes, obviously it gets more complicated. There are twists and turns. Um, she also has to care for this uncle who has dementia, which is really sad to read about. Always sad to read about people with dementia and just watching the portrayal of his illness is really good. And it's just a well-constructed, really interesting, twisty, um, not so much murder mystery as like like bigger picture, small town mystery slash interesting family mystery.
1: Character And drama. then...
2: And then it ends and it has possibly the worst ending, top five worst endings I've ever read in a book. Because the ending, um and here is where I will get a little bit spoily, I'll try to be vague, but can't be helped at this point. So if you do want to read this book or you are reading this book, now's your chance to to press that fifteen second skip ahead. <laughs> button a few times because I'm going to get a little spoilery here but basically the way the book ends is you find out the answers to all the mysteries that's left completely unambiguous but the main character is left in a state where you have no idea what's going to happen next basically like her and what turns out to be this villain character get into a scuffle and the villain like traps her in a basement and then it ends and like you have no idea what's gonna happen next it feels like when I read it I swear (laughs) to God I thought there was a chapter missing from my copy of the book and then I went on Goodreads and every single review is like what the (laughs) hell is that ending and it made me think so much about how Mm. like I think that like there's a lot endings are very important in any piece of storytelling and any narrative endings are super important and I think it's very easy to read an ending and be like oh of course she escaped somehow, she had this happy ending, and they all saved the day, and they all wound up happily ever after, yada, yada, yada. But like, there's something in our brains and the way the stories work that makes that part so, so important for the catharsis of it all. Like, you want to end a story feeling like there is a resolution and to have an ambiguous ending is just like one of the most frustrating things in the world and could really just like retroactively ruin an entire story for you when you're like, Man, I trusted this this storyteller to take me through all the way to the end and they really just like crash landed that plane. They just like did not stick the landing here. Um Extremely unsatisfying, so I would not recommend this book. And like my wife who saw me just kind of like, like voraciously reading it, I read it all in like a couple of nights, she was like, Oh, should I read that? I was like, God, I would have said yes until I got to this ending. And now it's like, no, uh, no, I Mm -hmm. don't think so. So yeah, bad endings and especially ambiguous endings, because it doesn't always have to be like a positive ending. It can Mm -hmm. be a negative ending, but an ambiguous ending is just absolutely the worst. Mm -hmm. And I think it just drives people crazy.
0: But it gives you an appreciation for when someone does an ambiguous ending that still feels like right. an ending, which is a thing pe- that people do. Like you can end with ambiguity. I shouldn't
2: yeah. say. I think ambigu- ambiguity is very powerful and can be used very effectively. Ambiguous in terms of like like if the entire book is about one thing and then that thing is just not like resolved in a satisfactory matter, or in, it's resolved in an ambiguous way, then that's what's frustrating. So the entire book, it's like. What's the best way to put this? I think you trust a book to follow its own rules, to play by its own rules. And when a book feels like it's cheating you at the end, that's when you get really frustrated. So if a book is like if something is super literary and it's exploring all sorts of different themes and it ends on an ambiguous note where you don't know how a character is feeling because you never really knew how they were feeling or you don't know what's going to happen next to someone cuz that wasn't the point of the book in the first place, then it feels fair and it feels earned and it feels like, "Oh, okay, cool. This left me with a lot of thinking." Whereas if a book is very kind of pulpy, twist-driven, like we're following this protagonist and her thoughts the entire time. The whole point of the book is to just kind of propel us along this this murder mystery story. And then you get to the end and it just kind of abruptly ends. That's when it feels completely unearned and unfair and unsatisfying. So yes, you're right, Kirk. Ambiguity can be very effective and very powerful, but it has to play by the rules of the book and it has to like fit what the book is trying to do, whereas mm-hmm. here it absolutely does not.
1: Or if it's gonna subvert those rules, then it needs to do so in a way that also feels earned, which this oh, yeah, is sure, yes. it's doing.
2: Yeah. I don't I think it's difficult to do that with ambiguity and with like an ambiguous ending, but
0: but yeah. yes, definitely. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's just not easy.
1: Good to know. All right, Kirk, what about you?
0: Well, I've been playing Hitman, Hitman Three, which has now become Hitman World of Assassination. It's changed names, which yep. is pretty cool. Totally game. Uh, there's a new mode in it called Freelancer that is also very cool and really interesting. I've never really seen anything like this before. Um so everyone knows I love Hitman. Um I've played all 3 of the Hitman the recent IO Interactive ones. I've actually played gosh, I think every single Hitman game ever made. There maybe Hitman 3, I think I maybe didn't play back in the day. These games are really fun. They're a very they're like my exact kind of stealth game where you can just experiment, and they're very systemic and lead to lots of comedy and just fun, I don't know, sequences of events. So we've talked about Hitman on the show before. Um, Hitman 3 came out, what, two years ago now?
1: Something like that? I think so. I think it was one of our first um, triple plays on this show.
0: Yeah, we played it, I guess, in our first year. So since then, uh, they've, they've released some stuff. IO Interactive has released some DLC and expansions for that game. But they've also sort of gradually started bringing all of the Hitman stuff together and now they've finally taken Hitmans one and two and fully combined them into Hitman three so that if you it used to be if you owned those games, you could play those levels within Hitman 3. But now if you buy Hitman 3, you just get all of those levels. The whole thing is like one big package. It's still a little bit confusing because of course it is the The downfall of Hitman has always been that there's like weird, confusing shit, like this online requirement that it has that's really frustrating. There's always like something where you're like, this could be the perfect game if you guys just would get out of your own way. But, anyways, (laughs) it's as simple as it's ever been. You can buy what is now called Hitman World of Assassination and you get. I don't know, 20 levels? And every level is so complex and fascinating and intricate that you could play around in it for 20 hours just figuring out different ways to, you know, take out the different targets and exploit the AI and and find secrets in the levels. I mean, there's just so, so much in this game um, because it's really three full AAA games in one. So what Freelancer is, is a mode that takes advantage of the fact that all of those levels now exist in one game that you have downloaded. It's a kind of roguelite, roguelike game that they have designed on top of all of those levels with a whole new progression system and a whole new everything. I mean, it's, it's just stands alone from the you know single player game that you could play. And the way it works is basically you're still Agent 47, you start in this safe house that's got a kind of... I don't know. Um, what's the guy's name? Dorian Gray. No, is that his name from? What's that's the guy's the name guy from Fifty Shades of Gray? That's that's oh, different. What's, Christian Gray. Christian Gray. That's it. <laughs> it's. I don't know. I've never seen those movies, but I feel like there's a lot of like cement, like expensive looking cement buildings <laughs> in those <laughs> movies. has like Forty Seven has a. Kind I think of, you're you are going to talk about like a bunch of sex, like
1: toys a BDSM room. Way. No, okay. Forty Seven
0: has a little bit of a like billionaire. Psychopath. Yeah, people are talking about
1: the other architecture in Christian Grey's life. Yeah. So true. Christian
0: Grey, that guy kind of seems like a serial killer. And, like, let's be real, 47, (laughs) kind of a serial killer.
1: Kind of. Actually. Yeah. (laughs) He just is a serial killer.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay. So, anyways, you have this kind of whatever, like cement subterranean lair. And there's nothing in it. But as you play, you gradually upgrade it. And so Mm -hmm. that's your kind of permanent. You gradually build your BDSM
1: dungeon. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There might be, you do unlock new areas. And I'm sure one of the rooms is. Write the, the BDSM dungeon. The, I guess that would, that would make sense. I haven't gotten that far. I mean, he is into costumes. Yeah,
1: he does have. A, he is into role play. So. Yeah,
0: um, I haven't played all of the games, so it's possible that we're that we're just <laughs> talking about things yeah, that have yet yeah. to happen. So, anyways, you go out on missions. The way that it works is you have like a campaign. It's a whole bunch of missions, um, and they're kind of they're broken into chapters. They get longer and more difficult as you go. It's really hard at first. You lose a lot because it's a. I mean, it is a roguelike, so. Mm-hmm. The biggest challenge with this game is that you have to deprogram yourself from the way that you play Hitman, or at least I had to because I've played, I don't know, 100 hours of Hitman, and I'm very used to playing it in a certain way, and this requires you to play it very differently. So you get—it picks the levels at random. You'll get, for the beginning, it's like three locations around the map. You have to kill a certain number of targets that are assigned procedurally to any of the characters in the level. So, I mean, they pick them, but it's like could be one of a million people. So you kind of look, all right, well— These are my three locations, Columbia, New York, and Sapienza. So for me, at least, I know some levels better than other levels, but I know them all to different degrees. And I kind of look at it and think, all right, well, that sounds good. So then you pick your first destination. It gives you some, like, side objectives. You're going to have to kill two people. You'll get bonus rewards if you, whatever, don't unlock any doors or if you only kill your target, things like that. You don't have to follow those, but you can. Basically, you just have to go in, find the person, kill them, and get out. You can't save which means you can't save scum, which really changes, I would think, the way that most people play Hitman because you screw up a lot in these games. It's actually like, as much as I feel like a silent assassin badass when I play the game, that's because I am cheating and reloading a save whenever I get (laughs) spotted. Like, if you play without that, like if you've ever played an elusive target In the base game, it's that same feeling where you get one one shot. One shot. Mm -hmm. You can't save. And if you screw up, you know, I mean, there's ways to like quit to desktop really quickly and still get to try it again. But if you're playing honorably, you just lose. So that happens here too. And it leads to way more chaos way more violence because you're not really getting penalized for collateral damage like you might not get one of those optional goals but mostly you kind of just can shoot your way out of something if you're able to and keep going until you get your targets or like eject early because if you don't die you just fail you know you don't lose as much stuff as you do if you die whatever there's a lot of particulars and a lot of metagaming to this to like you kind of have to if you really grind and build up your weapons you can kind of approach it a certain way which is true to most roguelikes there's kind of an optimal way to play but if you're just playing for fun it really is a more chaotic and more freeform version of hitman it's probably more fun for someone who's played 100 hours and knows the levels but even if you haven't and don't it can be pretty fun once you get your head around the systems like if you're hitman literate and you kind of know what's going to happen you know well i kind of get how the costumes work i get what it means when someone tells me no you can't come in here you know like there's just these sort of literacies you develop for the game, once you have those, it's pretty fun and it's free. You know, they just put it out as a free update. And that's really remarkable to me. Like, it's so cool to see someone do this with you know, these developers have been working on Hitman since I think 2016. So for seven years, they've been making these games. This is so much stuff. I mean, it's just so much level design and content and like just things you can do. And they've managed to take it. And rather than have it be siloed off and released in a whole weird way, they've pulled it together into this one thing that now everyone can just play. And they've developed a new way of experiencing it all together, which I just think is really cool. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, It'd be like if like if Arcane released a game that was Deathloop and both Dishonored games with all those levels mixed up into a new yeah. like roguelike and prey moon crash or like Or like the
1: Zelda randomizer was official somehow or like right. the, the like boss randomizer in Elden Ring and stuff like that. Right. Yeah.
0: You get that sense cool. of scope with this, where you're just going from one exotic, incredibly well-realized location to another in a way that just doesn't feel like most video games feel, because it's really three video games. So it's super cool. If that sounds interesting to anyone out there, I mean, especially if you already own the game, give it a shot. I think you'll have a good time. It's uh, I've been having a great time with that.
1: Yeah, it sounds really cool. Those
0: guys are making a James Bond game next, which is pretty I know. Fun. I'm going to play the hell out of that. It's very yeah.
1: exciting. It's pretty. Ex- it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, we did an episode again, folks, and uh, I guess everybody knew we could do it. We've done it before, yeah. but we did <laughs> we do it again. We were
0: pretty established <laughs> <definitely> <laughs> at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Several
2: times in the past. Yeah. Well, Wait, you know, we times. did it again, and
1: uh, I have a feeling we're going to nail it next time, too. I sure I,
2: hope I so. Really, I have we're faith in us. I have a good feeling, right. too. I'm, I'm glad you remember <laughs> all those times we recorded this podcast. <laughs> barely. i your memory barely, has come back barely, to you.
1: Barely, but I do. All right. We'll see you both next week.
2: See you next week. Yep.
0: See you next week.
1: Bye. Triple
0: Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes.